0: Chapter Thirteen Life in the Clearings versus the Bush by Susanna Moody. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lost Children.
1: Oh, how I love the pleasant woods, when silence reigns around, And the mighty shadows calmly sleep, like giants on the ground. And the firefly sports her fairy lamp beside the moonlit stream, and the lofty trees, in solemn state, frown darkly in the beam.
0: There was a poor woman on board the steamer who was, like myself, in search of health, and was going to the west to see her friends and to get rid of, if possible, a hollow, consumptive cough. She looked to me in the last stage of pulmonary consumption, but she seemed to hope everything from the change of air. She had been for many years a resident in the woods, and had suffered great hardships. But the greatest sorrow she ever knew, she said, and what had pulled her down the most, was the loss of a fine boy, who had strayed away after her through the bush, when she went to nurse a sick neighbour, and though every search had been made for the child, he had never been found. It is many years ago, she said, and he would be a fine young man now, if he were alive, and she sighed deeply and still seemed to cling to the idea that he might possibly be living, with a sort of forlorn hope. That to me seemed more melancholy than the certainty of his death. This brought to my recollection many tales that I had been told, while living in the bush, of persons who had perished in this miserable manner. Some of these tales may chance to interest my readers. I was busy sewing one day for my little girl, when we lived in the township of Hamilton, when Mrs. H., a woman whose husband farmed our farm on shares, came running in quite out of breath and cried out, "'Mrs. M., have you heard the good news? One of the lost children is found.' I shook my head and looked inquiringly. "'What, did you not hear about it? Why, one of the clerk's little fellows, who were lost last Wednesday in the woods, has been found.' "'I am glad of it. But how were they lost?' "'Oh, tis a thing of very common occurrence here.' New settlers who are ignorant of the danger of going astray in the forest are always having their children lost. I take good care never to let my boys go alone to the bush. But people are so careless in this respect that I wonder it does not more frequently happen. These little chaps are the sons of a poor emigrant who came out this summer and took up a lot of wild land just at the back of us, towards the plains. Clark is busy logging up his fallow for fall wheat, on which his family must depend for bread during the ensuing year, and he is so anxious to get it ready in time that he will not allow himself an hour at noon to go home to get his dinner, which his wife generally sends in a basket to the woods by his eldest daughter, a girl of fourteen. Last Wednesday the girl had been sent on an errand by her mother, who thought that, in her absence, she might venture to trust the two boys to take dinner to their father— the boys who were from five to seven years old and very smart and knowing for their age promised to mind all her directions and went off quite proud of the task carrying the little basket between them how they came to ramble off in the woods the younger child who had just been found is too much stupefied to tell and perhaps he is too young to remember at night clark returned from his work and scolded his wife for not sending his dinner as usual But the poor woman, who all day had quieted her fears with the belief that the children had stayed with their father, instead of paying any regard to his angry words, demanded, in a tone of agony, what had become of her children. Tired and hungry as Clark was, he instantly comprehended the danger to which his boys were exposed, and started off in pursuit of them. The shrieks of the distracted woman soon called the neighbors together, who instantly joined in the search. It was not until this afternoon that any trace could be discovered of the lost children, when Brian, the hunter, found the youngest boy, Johnny, lying fast asleep upon the trunk of a fallen tree, fifteen miles back in the bush. And the brother? Will never, I fear, be heard of again. They have searched for him in all directions, and have not discovered him. The story little Johnny tells is to this effect. During the first two days of their absence, the food they had brought in the basket for their father's dinner sustained life. But to-day it seems that little Johnny grew very hungry, and cried continually for bread. William, the eldest boy, promised him bread, if he would try and walk further. But his feet were bleeding and sore, and he could not walk another step. For some time the little fellow carried him upon his back, but growing tired himself, he bade Johnny sit down upon a falling log, the log on which he was found and not stir from the place until he came back. He told the child that he would run on until he found a house, and would return as soon as he could, and bring him something to eat. He then wiped his eyes, and told him not to cry, and not to be scared, for God would take care of him till he came back, and he kissed him several times and ran away. This is all the little fellow knows about his brother and it is very probable that the generous-hearted boy has been eaten by the wolves that are very plenty in that part of the forest where the child was found. The Indians traced him for more than a mile along the banks of the creek, when they lost his trail altogether. If he had fallen into the water, it is so shallow that they would scarcely have failed in discovering the body, but they think that he has been dragged into some hole in the bank among the tangled cedars, and devoured." Since I have been in the country, continued Mrs. H., I have known many cases of children, and even of grown persons, being lost in the woods, who were never heard of again. It is a frightful calamity to happen to any one, for should they escape from the claws of wild animals, these dense forests contain nothing on which life can be supported for any length of time. The very boughs of the trees are placed so far from the ground that no child could reach or climb to them and there is so little brush and small bushes among these giant trees that no sort of fruit can be obtained on which they might subsist while it remained in season. It is only in the clearings or where the fire has run through the forest that strawberries or raspberries are to be found, and at this season of the year and in the winter a strong man could not exist many days in the wilderness, let alone a child. Parents cannot be too careful in guarding their young folk against rambling alone in the bush persons when once they get off the beaten track get frightened and bewildered and lose all presence of mind and instead of remaining where they are when they first discover their misfortune which is the only chance they have of being found they plunge desperately on running hither and thither in the hopes of getting out while they only involve themselves more deeply among the mazes of the interminable forest some winters ago the daughter of a settler in the remote township of dummer when my husband took up his grant of wild land, and in which we lived for two years, went with her father to the mill, which was four miles from their log shanty, and the road lay entirely through the bush. For a while the girl, who was about twelve years of age, kept up with her father, who walked briskly ahead with his bag of corn on his back. For as their path lay through a tangled swamp, he was anxious to get home before night— After some time, Sarah grew tired with stepping up and down over the fallen logs that strewn her path, and lagged a long way behind. The man felt not the least apprehensive when he lost sight of her, expecting that she would soon come up with him again. Once or twice he stopped and shouted, and she answered, "'Coming, Father!' And he did not turn to look after her again. He reached the mill, saw the grist ground, resumed his burden, and took the road home expecting to meet Sarah, by the way. He trod the long path home, but still he thought that the girl, tired with her walk in the woods, had turned back, and he should find her safe at home. You may imagine, Mrs. M., his consternation, and that of the family, when they found that the girl was lost. It was now dark, and all search for her was given up for that night as hopeless. By daybreak, the next morning, the whole settlement which was then confined to a few lonely log tenements, inhabited solely by Cornish miners, were roused from their sleep to assist in the search. The men turned out with guns and horns, and divided into parties that started in different directions. Those who discovered Sarah were to fire their guns, which was to be the signal to guide the rest to the spot. It was not long before they found the object of their search, seated under a tree about half a mile from the path she had lost on the preceding day. She had been tempted by the beauty of some wild flowers to leave the road, and when once in the forest she grew bewildered and could not find her way back. At first she ran, to and fro, in an agony of terror at finding herself in the woods all alone, and uttered loud, frantic cries, but her father had by this time reached the mill, and was out of hearing. With a sagacity beyond her years and not very common to her class, instead of wandering further into the labyrinth which surrounded her, she sat down under a large tree, covered her face with her apron and said the Lord's Prayer, the only one she knew, and hoped that God would send her father back to find her the moment he discovered that she was lost. When night came down upon the forest, and oh, how dark night is in the woods, the poor girl said that she felt horribly afraid of being eaten by the wolves that abound in those dreary swamps. But she did not cry, for fear they should hear her, Simple girl, she did not know that the scent of a wolf's is far keener than his ear. But this was her notion, and she lay down close to the ground, and never once uncovered her head for fear of seeing something dreadful standing beside her, until, overcome by terror and fatigue, she fell fast asleep, and did not awake till roused by the shrill braying of the horns and the shouts of the party who were seeking her what a dreadful situation i am sure that i have not had the courage of this poor girl but should have died with fear we don't know how much we can bear till we are tried this girl was more fortunate than the boy of the same age who was lost in the same township just as the winter set in the lad was sent by his father an english settler in company with two boys of his own age the sons of neighbours to be measured for a pair of shoes george who followed the double occupation of farmer and shoemaker, lived about three miles from the clearing known as the English Line. After the lads left their home, the road lay entirely through the bush. It was a path they had often travelled, both alone and with their parents, and they felt no fear. There had been a slight fall of snow, just enough to cover the ground, and the day was clear and frosty. The boys in this country always hail with delight the first fall of snow and they ran races and slid over all the shallow pools until they reached George Dezen's cabin. He measured young brown for a strong pair of winter boots, and the boys returned on their homeward path, shouting and laughing in the glee of their hearts. About halfway they suddenly missed their companion, and ran back nearly a mile to find him. Not succeeding, they thought that he had hidden himself behind some of the trees, and in order to frighten them was pretending to be lost and after shouting his name at the top of their voices and receiving no answer, they determined to defeat his trick and ran home without him. They knew he was well acquainted with the road, that it was still broad day and he could easily find his way home alone. When his father inquired for George, they said he was coming, and went to their respective cabins. Night came on and the lad did not return, and his parents began to feel alarmed at his absence. Mr. Brown went over to the neighbouring settlements and made the lads repeat to him all they knew about his son. The boys described the part of the road where they first missed him, but they had felt no uneasiness about him, for they concluded that he had either run home before them or had gone back to spend the night with the young Dezins, who had been very importunate for him to stay. This account pacified the anxious father. Early the next morning he went to Dezins himself to bring home the boy— But to his astonishment and grief, he had not been there. His mysterious disappearance gave rise to a thousand strange surmises. The whole settlement turned out in search of the boy. His steps were traced off the road a few yards into the bush, and entirely disappeared at the foot of a large oak. The tree was lofty, and the branches so far from the ground that it was almost impossible for any boy, unassisted, to have raised himself to such a height." "'There is no track of any animal to be seen on the new-fallen snow, "'no shred of garment or stain of blood. "'That boy's fate will always remain a great mystery, for he was never found. "'He must have been carried up the tree by a bear, "'and dragged down into the hollow trunk,' said I. "'If that had been the case, there would have been the tracks of bears' feet in the snow. "'It does not, however, follow that the boy is dead, "'though it is more probable.' I knew of a case where two boys and a girl were sent into the woods by their mother to fetch home the cows. The children were lost. The parents mourned them for dead, for all search after them proved fruitless. At length, after seven years, the eldest son returned. The children had been overtaken and carried off by a party of Indians, who belonged to a tribe who inhabited the islands in Lake Huron and who were out on a hunting expedition— They took them many hundred miles away from their forest home, and adopted them as their own. The girl, when she grew up, married one of the tribe. The boys followed the occupation of hunters and fishers, and, from their dress and appearance, might have passed for aborigines of the forest. The eldest boy, however, never forgot his own name, or the manner in which he had been separated from his parents. He distinctly remembered the township and the natural features of the locality and took the first opportunity of making his escape, and travelling back to the home of his childhood. When he made himself known to his mother, who was a widow, but resided on the same spot, he was so dark and Indian-like that she could not believe it really was her son, until he brought back to her mind a little incident that, forgotten by her, had never left his memory. "'Mother,' don't you remember saying to me on that afternoon? "'Ned,' You need not look for the cows in the swamp. They went off towards the big hill. The delightful mother immediately caught him to her heart, exclaiming, You say truly, you are my own, my long lost son. This and the two preceding chapters were written for roughing it in the bush, and were sent to England to make a part of that work, but came too late for insertion, which will account to the reader for their appearance
1: here. THE CANADIAN HERDBOY Through the deep woods, at peep of day, The careless herd-boy wends his way By piney ridge and forest stream To summon home his roving team. Kobos, kobos, from distant dell, Shy echo wafts the cattle-bell. A blithe reply he whistles back And follows out the devious track. 'er O'er-fallen tree and mossy stone, A path to all save him. Unknown. Kobos, kobos, far down the dell More faintly falls the cattle bell. See the dark swamp before him throws A tangled maze of cedar boughs. On all around deep silence broods In nature's boundless solitudes. Kobos, kobos, the breezes swell As nearer floats the cattle bell. He sees them now, beneath yon trees. His motley herd recline at ease. With lazy pace and sullen stare, They slowly leave their shady lair. Kobos, Kobos, far up the dell, Quick jingling comes the cattle bell. End of chapter 13